Tron, Volume 2. What did it sound like? I tried to write this episode for what seemed like decades, but it was never enough. What took so long? Life? Inexperience? I kept posting about an episode I thought I'd never record. And then, one morning, I did. Hey everyone, welcome back to A Conversation for One, the podcast where I mostly ramble on about a variety of horror, sci-fi, multimedia, theme parks, film universes, anything really. It has been a hot minute, but I'm back now. Uh, So if you guys are listening for the first time, thanks a bunch for coming by. This episode seems to be the one you've all been waiting for, Tron Volume 2. Let me just say I am beyond excited for this one. Uh, So much to talk about really. Uh, I just hope I cover it all. Um, But first, 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 first things first, let me just get a couple things out of the way here. First, one more time, for those that follow the ACFO podcast Instagram, thank you so much. But I had made a uh, schedule post stating that uh, my episode for Bandersnatch uh, would would be my next February episode. But as you can tell, it's already kind of late in February. And I've made an update video. I, I, I had it posted on my last episode. I made an update video. I had it on my story. I'm sure I've posted about it a couple times. It's just not in the cards. It's just not in the cards, unfortunately. But I mean, it might be in the cards eventually, just obviously not for February and not really anytime soon. So don't hold your breath. It'll probably be once all of the attention for that has gone away and no one wants to listen to it anymore. It seems to be how I keep doing things. But not going to be on a sad sack note. This, however, uh, is uh is not not what i'm going to be talking about we're here for tron so let me just get a couple more things out of the way here the thing with bandersnatch is it's just it's a lot to cover so it, like i said it'll have to be at a later date tbd uh second i have some shout outs to give first and foremost our sponsor ultra apparel ultra apparel is the brand new clothing and accessories brand I love this company. You hear me talk about this company all the time. I'm posting about this company all the time. Before I even get into this read here, I got their sweater, the cherry red sweater. Not only does it look amazing, it is probably like, I yeah, it's definitely like, it has nothing to do with like sponsorship. It is easily my favorite sweater. I've popped that puppy on six times in a row. Like it probably smells horrendous, but like it is my comfy sweater. I throw it on and not only that, it doesn't look like a comfy sweater. It's not frumpy, it's not gross. It's sleek as hell. You look fly. Uh, the kids still say fly. You look good. Um, anyways, the company produces some very sharp looking clothing, high quality material. Like I was saying, my favorite sweater, it is beyond soft. Like you could like curl up in it and just like hibernate for like six months. And the production value is great. Like the logos look good. The clothing's good. Like there isn't any like stitching coming out of it. It's very, very high end. Um, and it gets better. Every time you guys support Outra, any purchase, whether it's a small one, whether you're getting a hat, whether you're getting sweaters for the kids, whether you're getting a whole tracksuit for the, I don't know if they do tracksuits, but if you're getting t-shirts, sweaters, you want your whole family looking fresh to death, 
every single purchase you make, 10% of that goes to support the mental health community. And just in case you didn't know, Outra does stand for Open Up to Raise Awareness. So their whole thing is 10%, I guess, as, as I was saying, goes to mental health research and awareness, um, which is like, I've said it before on the, on the podcast, mental health is a big deal. As somebody who has suffered with like mental health issues for a good part of, of, of my life, uh, it's not like something I heavily promote, but it's there. There is nothing worse than than like being alone with this or um, just the feeling that nothing's going to help you. Um, so the idea that's that a company that sells this grade of clothing is like putting forth money to help support research, support groups, all these things, the best thing ever. Um, so please, please, please go support them. It's a great cause. As I was kind of saying, they have shirts, hats, hoodies for both sexes, and they all look really good. And I, honestly, I'm not even just saying that. I, as I said, I know personally. Um, so you guys can find Outra on Instagram at, at, at sorry, on Instagram at Outra Apparel. That's O-U-T-R-A-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. And you can go buy some of their clothing, some of their accessories on their website. That's Outra Apparel. And as I said, 10% of it goes to Mental Health Research Canada. That's the specific organization for mental health research and awareness. It's a great cause. So go check them out. I'll make sure I include um, both the app for their Instagram and um, their website for the show notes for this episode. And lastly, but definitely not least, a huge thank you and shout out to Mr. Chad Nelson. Uh, He was the extremely kind gentleman I spoke of um, in a previous episode uh, who donated the Flynn's Arcade coin from, uh, I, I don't know if it was California Adventures or like Disneyland's. Um, uh, they had an event anyways when Tron Legacy came out called uh, Electronica. Uh, and there was a little coin uh, that said Flynn's Arcade. And they're, they're kind of rare and they're beautiful looking coins, uh, especially to a Tron fan like myself. So it was very, very kind of him. He sent one of those coins to me. Uh, and again, it was one of the nicest things that has ever, ever been done to like that has ever happened to me, really, especially from a complete stranger. Um, so as a favor to him, and it's really a, a treat to you if you're interested in this, if you would like to see and hear more of Chad, you can go find his podcast on the community podcast site, Hacker Public Radio, which if you like it, please go support it, donate to it. It's, it's really great. It's just it's access for everybody to just put their stuff out there um, and look up. I'm sorry, I really don't know how to pronounce this. It's, it's like Kuvmo, Kuvmo. It's Q-U-V-M-O-H. Or I'm pretty sure you can find him with his host ID, which is 110. Uh, and Chad's got some really rad episodes on like fiber optics, audio file stuff, like audio, computer tech. If you're into that sort of stuff, or if you want to just maybe check it out, he's got some pretty interesting episodes. Um, so go check him out on a Hacker Public Radio. Covmo, Q-U-V-M-O-H. And again, thanks again, Chad. Uh, I really appreciate it. Like As I said, it stays on my desk at all times. And with that, here we go. It's been 25 years of still air for the casual Tron fan. There have been rumblings of something since 2005. 
with nothing to show for it. All hope was soon to be lost. But then, emerging from the darkness, glowed a beautiful, blinding light. The year was 2009, and the TR2N concept trailer had just premiered. The game had been turned back on. So yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, the TR2N concept trailer, Tron 2, I really, I never really knew how to pronounce that. I remember seeing that bad boy, like when it came out, like I heard like the rumblings, I, I, I specifically like kind of like knew like this was something that was happening. And I remember seeing that in my ComTech class in high school, still to this day, like I remember like watching it just as much as I remember watching the legit Tron Legacy trailer, but I had never seen anything quite like it. It was like, you kind of knew it was like Tron, like just you knew it was Tron, but like it didn't look or feel like Tron. And yet it did all at the same time. It was like the weirdest thing. And oddly enough, it was like seeing an old friend, like, like seeing that and like knowing like what I was watching, like the, just the, the hugeness of it. It was like being, I don't know. It was kind of like being in on something big, like before anyone else got it. Do you know what I mean? which in high school for me, like being the little indie friggin' hipster I was, I was all about that. I was all about knowing stuff before anybody else did. So I guess, I mean, in hindsight, that was probably another reason that I was like, <laughs> this is like my thing. And to be fair, like before I even jump into this, I do remember like, you can't like Tron, you're just liking Tron because of Tron Legacy, like me being like, I've always liked it. Like, you know, when you're young, you know, it's almost 10 years ago. But I mean, the way the bikes moved, and sounded like if you're gonna watch that trailer like you can find a good trailer of it um the tr2n concept trailer you can still find it don't watch the one that still has like that ends with tron legacy try and find the oldest one you can even if you're watching it like 360p put your headphones in you're, it's just oh just it's just like chill it's the sound like the sound design for that concept trailer alone is so crisp and fully fleshed out my god like that alone like i just watched it before recording this and i'm still like holy jesus like wow um it's just like straight chills excitement and two like like i don't want to jump into it because like as far as i know that concept trailer doesn't really hold any weight canon wise but i always like to think that that guy the one that you see like clue ultimately like i guess he doesn't he, he he derezzes him, right? He kills him. I always like to think that that guy was like maybe one of the ISO supporters, was like loyal to, to Flynn. I always thought like there was a reason that he was after him, right? And he seemed like a top tier guy. He might have been like in Tron's army. Who knows? But I, that's, you know, me like just scr scratching the surface for any other like morsel of like Tron fan lore. That's always what I like to picture. But anywho, we're not talking about that concept trailer, although I definitely could. We're going to jump right in. If you guys are just listening to this now, I did the Tron Volume 1 some months ago, and I got a lot of response for it. It was great. I was so happy with how many people enjoyed it and, and wanted more, and I was like, I'll do it, and then I took my sweet-ass time getting to it, so we're getting to it now. Uh, if you want to jump in, if you want to hit whoop, 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 and hit pause, Please feel free to do that and go listen to my Tron Volume 1. Uh, I covered Tron. I covered the game from what I remember a little bit. I covered the game that came out. I said game twice, but I mean like 
the arcade cabinet game, but then also um, Tron uh, 2.0. Um, which is no longer canon and frankly takes a weird spin for the Tron franchise. It's not a bad spin, it's just not my favorite. And as well as the follow-up comic book, uh, Ghost in the Machine. But this is different. This is completely different. We are going to be talking about um, 2009-2010 onwards to now. So I'm not going to be talking about any of the other stuff. So if you are interested in Tron, you want a little bit more of Tron, or you love Tron and you want to hear my opinions before you listen to this, just hop on over to whichever platform you're listening to and go listen to Tron Volume 1. And with that, let's just keep moving forward. This is going to be quite the ride. Tron is the number one movie in America. And that's what I'm talking about! It's absolutely mind-blowing. Don't miss the 3D event of the year. Tron now playing. Okay, so Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy has its roots in the year 2005. Uh, well, 1999, technically. I mean, if you include the apparent interest of Pixar in making a complete CGI installment of the franchise, um, whether that was a sequel um, or a remake or even like a complete um, reboot, I guess, those details are unknown to me. Um, I didn't find anything, I didn't look very hard for anything, um, but I will say that personally, I'm beyond grateful, nothing ever came of that, but, and like in lieu of like kind of the Tron shortage we've had in the last like just shy of 10 years, it would have definitely been neat to have seen that or like what it would have looked like, felt like, um, but it didn't happen. So jumping forward, uh, I almost said jumping back to uh, 2005, uh, this is when talks actually start to become serious for a Tron sequel or just really to get the the, the wheels moving a bit for more steadily. Um, so Disney was starting to shop out and listen to Tron ideas around this time. Uh, there were a couple concepts and scripts written between then and I, from what I've seen anyways, it's like between 2005 and 2007. Um, so this is like very lazy, um, but I scooped this next part completely from Wikipedia. Um, with the source being from an article from Collider originally. I feel like this encapsulates the best condensed version uh, of this part of this, the story, really, for Tron Legacy. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk a bit about it, but here we go. So in 2007, Disney began to negotiate with Joseph Kaczynski to direct Tron Legacy. Kaczynski admitted that at the time he was not keen on the idea, but later on it grew on him as time progressed. Kaczynski was involved in a meeting with Sean Bailey, for those who don't know, um, because even I wasn't really familiar with the name, Sean Bailey is and has been the president of Walt Disney Pictures since 2002. Um, so kind of a big deal, I would assume, for him to be contacting a future director of the film directly, especially for an intellectual property that has been like like long dormant. Um, and for him to actually make a concept film for the sequel. Also, like I don't know, like, I'm pretty sure he produced Sean Bailey produced the film on his own as well as through Disney. So like he was very much on board for this. It seems like kind of a big deal. Uh, continuing on though, <laughs> uh, apparently the conversation went something like, um, well, kind of like this. Uh, so this is kind of what I found between both Bailey and Kaczynski. Uh, so it says, Disney owns the property Tron, Bailey states. Uh, do you know it? Are you interested? Would What would your take be in like a post matrix world? How do you go back to the world of Tron? 
Uh, so sidebar here, I think it's like very interesting, especially with my years of research and interest in the franchise that from 2005 to 2008, um, at least, uh, Disney was like very much down to do like a Matrix style, I don't even really know, like a Matrix-esque, I suppose, idea of everyone in the internet, like everyone in the film in the internet or like an alternate reality or like lost in the machine type concepts um, that Tron fans were somewhat familiar. I mean, like with um, the graphic novel, uh, The Ghost in the Machine uh, that I mentioned even in my last episode. Um, the difference that most of the story scenarios I've seen floating around, whether they're real or not, have it being far more accessible uh, in comparison to the graphic novel for normal audiences and for lack of better terms, um, somewhat very Disney-like more so, uh, if you know what I mean. Uh, if you want to see kind of how that turns out, um, I would imagine it's kind of something between like, like Gun to My Head. I would probably say like it's, it, the feel is more like uh, a mix between like Ready Player One and maybe like Ralph Breaks the Internet. Uh, and while both of these are fairly entertaining films, I would have to say like for the most part, I'm glad they did. They like decided to not ride the coattails of the Matrix because like that would have been, I don't know, I, it doesn't seem right. And ultimately, I think they made something more in tune with its roots and ultimately more original, which at the end of the day, that's kind of what you want. Um, anyways, <laughs> Back to the convo that we were just talking about. Uh, Kaczynski wanted to embrace the general ambiance of the film and wished to not use the internet as a model or use a formula emulative of the Matrix film series. Um, uh, as neither individuals were in equal agreement on choosing a perspective to conceive the film, Kaczynski asked Bailey to lend him money in order to create a conceptual prototype of the Tron Legacy universe, which is eventually presented at the 2009 San Diego Comic-Con International which would be the TR2N, like the Tron 2 trailer that I was just speaking of. Um, it says here in quotes, So we went into Disney, Kaczynski recalled, and I told them, we can talk about this all day, but in order to really get on the same page, I need to show you what this world likes and feels like. Wait, what did I say? World's like? I need to show you what this world looks like and feels like. I hope I said that. Give me some money and let me do a small test that will give you a hint for a couple minutes of it and see what you think. So this trailer for Tron Hungry fans was like the very definition of hype, which is exactly what everyone had hoped for, right? Realistically. And the rest, as I say, is history. So thanks for listening, everybody. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've legit barely scratched the surface here. So if you need to take a bathroom break, now is the time. <laughs> Before we keep going, let me just say that I've seen multiple accounts of the first sighting of the TR2N um, trailer. The confusing part comes in with one version was shown at the 2008 San Diego Comic-Con. So follow me here. The first one was shown at 2008 San Diego Comic-Con. The other version, which is a, apparently a cleaned up version, which is the version I feel I saw, which I thought was the first one. And again, I don't know if I saw in 2008 now or 2009, the second one was played in 2009 at the San Diego Comic-Con International. So hopefully you can see how this is very confusing. Um, so one is 2008 San Diego Comic-Con and the next is 2009 San Diego Comic-Con International. It's the exact same trailer. Anyways, <laughs> that's a little problem for another day. 
Um, that concept trailer was a hit, by the way, for new fans and diehards alike. And Disney gave the go-ahead for Tron Legacy. So Tron Legacy premiered in December of 2010. And let me tell you what a glorious time to be alive that was. A truly like groundbreaking cinematic treat. You know how you like hold on to like certain experiences, like for me, especially like movie experiences, like I can still vividly remember the first time I went into the theater to see this. Like it is still one of my all time, like up top oop, uh, highs for the cinematic, like for a cinematic like experience for, yeah, like it is. It's a film that truly needed to be seen in a theater a high-end one like even like avx or imax would have been like peak um but i don't even know like at the theater the cinema that i i'm close to i don't even know if it had an avx theater in 2010 and i mean i wasn't going to drive an hour to see it in imax because i was very poor i was in high school i mean i definitely should have i went to imax for a lesser film so i'm looking at you Zack snyder's uh, sucker punch which you know is a bit of a guilty pleasure but <laughs> wasn't worth seeing it in imax um, but that definitely would have been better, I mean, to have seen Tron. I did see it every single time in 3D. Uh, I may or may not have gone to see this bad Larry at least four times. So four times in 3D on a high school budget. All the money for Tron. Uh, anyways, that still is like an all-time high. I think it, yeah, I think it is. I think that's still like the most I've probably ever gone to see. I've gone to like a cinema to see a movie. Uh, especially like a 3D movie. Like, I don't know what kind of money I was rolling in where I had to see it all four times in 3D. I mean, I don't regret it, but like, I mean, that adds up. That's easy, like close to like 80 to 100 bucks just in cinema tickets. So yeah, Tron. The movie opens up with um, a very, like, I want to say it's design heavy, but it's very minimalist, the intro. It's... Um, it's 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 layered you know like it's complex um with how they do it but it's not a lot going on in the screen the intro kind of eases you into sinking your teeth like right into the world that you're about to take this like super euphoric journey through um and uh we're joined once again by um the albeit cgi'd face young looking kevin flynn uh which again is very welcomely played welcomely i don't think that's a word uh, by jeff bridges so it's good to have him back he was also in the tron like the tr2n trailer which i think is also what everybody just got their body ready for like this movie so it starts with flynn recounting his adventures from the 1982 film to his young son sam which is a new character that we get to meet so flynn tells sam uh he well basically he tells him about the world that he's been in or rather that he has made since uh the 1982 film so um he basically gives like a small recount of what has happened um in uh well not well okay this is kind of confusing he gives like if you've never seen tron this move this part is kind of where it's like here's a little catch-up right here's a little this is what's happened this is what's happening now very brief but just enough to get it going also you get a really cool uh shot of a poster for the black hole which is another like forgotten disney film which i'll sure i'm going to talk about one day i did have something in the works but anyways we don't have time for that then like after he's done telling him the story uh he goes to leave and uh, he tells him to come to the arcade and uh he can play and then sam's like can we play at doubles like on the same team and that's when you get uh he flips a quarter to his uh, to Sam and says, uh, "We're always on the same team." Bit of a fun fact: me and uh, my best friend, uh, the one I mentioned in Tron Volume One when I was seeing this, uh, were very thoroughly considering 
Yes, listen to this. Getting a neon inked quarter tattoo that would have had those words within it. The we're always on the same team, like a matching tattoo. Yeah, that's right. And we considered it for a long time. And uh, I mean a long time. And I mean, I dismissed it as a tad weird as the years went on. Um, but Mr. Lusk, if you're listening to this and you're still down, uh, I would definitely be down the more I think about it. And I'm not even a little bit ashamed, even though uh, it's still, you know, no, I would, let's do it. If you're hearing this, let's get that tattoo. Anywho, after this, after this badass deadbeat dad, Kevin Flynn hops on his very rad Ducati and drives away, leaving both the scene and Sam's life <laughs> for at least a decade or two. The scene that follows is arguably one of my favorites in the film. It's not that it's like flashy or intense, but more so that you you feel like it's taking you out of the film for a moment. And while I know that that's usually a bad thing, I don't mean it so much that it's killing the illusion, but more so that like you've stepped almost into like a new dimension, like just for a moment, uh, watching this like very well-made stylized montage of scenes, like within a bunch of televisions and like this like empty, it's almost like you're on an alternate version of like the grid that you you still haven't seen yet, um, but it's like desolate. And you're just, yeah, like I said, you're watching like very well-made stylized montages, which essentially serves as a little history lesson of what happens between when Kevin Flynn leaves the scene to where the movie's gonna take off. So it's it's basically like those two decades I just joked about, it, get, it just gets you up to speed again. The, that intro is very like, like condensed with info but it does it so well that you don't even like realize like your ears are just being like smushed full of information it's like a timeline synopsis of sorts um telling you what happens to kevin flynn uh while giving a tad of foreshadowing while he's giving his speech which is like it's painful then it's painful later it's not as one of my favorites but anyways and then and then also gives like the fate of ncom talks about our boy alan bradley and of course it focuses a little bit on sam um, then the TV you're watching it on shuts off and then you're back in the film. And I, I actually like that scene more every time I watch it because it's like almost like being, it's almost like being in a theme park and getting that little pre-ride film or a little side note for, um, an attraction before you get right into it. Um, I don't know. To me, it's, it's the small thing. It's very small, but it's done so well. And I think the film would be at a huge, huge loss if that tiny part wasn't done just right, considering how crucial it is for the story that it is about to play out. So anyways, that's just my little, that's just my little, I'm just making a lot of noises here. So anyways, before I jump any further into the plot, let me just say how crucial, crucial, like insanely crucial. Can I say crucial again? The soundtrack from Daft Punk is for this film. If you've never seen this film, it is hard to recommend listening to the score isolated while just doing busy work, for the first time that is. <laughs> Afterwards, do whatever you like, but I feel it is crucial, there we go, there's one more crucial, to watch this film to get the entire experience. And like I said, afterwards, you'll wanna be listening to the soundtrack for just about just about everywhere you go for a long time. It's that good. Um, this movie came out in 2010. I was just listening to, I know I was like, I'm recording this, but I was just listening to some Tron uh, soundtrack just very recently and it holds up and you still get chills and it's wonderful. Although I will say that Daft Punk was imperative in the creation of the score. There's always a name that I feel gets left out, um, which deserves a good deal of credit too. And that person is uh, Joseph Trapanese. 
Uh, he's the man who orchestrated these wicked tunes and um, I think further on down the line, like I don't think, I'm pretty sure for one of these, but the other one I'm not sure, uh, he would be the man who writes and composes uh, the music for Tron Uprising for sure. And the game Evolution, I'm, that's where I like, I'm not quite sure, I'm almost positive he does. And as well, he worked again with Joseph Kaczynski on a later film, which is also very well-made, but kind of forgotten film uh, called Oblivion um, uh, with Tom Cruise. A little different, like in that film, but he still has a French electronic band, M83, and it's, it is wonderful. A lot of tracks. Not all of them are absolute bangers like in this album, but still very, very good. Um, so just something everyone should know. Um, I'm not taking anything away from Daft Punk, though, because that would be sacrilegious. But yeah, if you listen to other Joseph Tra- uh, Trapanese work, he's, yeah, he's, you can just tell. But yeah, I'm not taking anything away from Daft Punk. That's because they were basically the perfect choice to bring for this, to bring this project to life. And let's face it, for those of us that have experienced this film, it would not have been the same or even have like the same lasting appeal it does without them and their music. Kind of cool. Side note here. Um, just just when I was kind of poking through stuff, apparently when looking for the music for the film, Kaczynski uh, was inspired by Wendy Carlos, who I mentioned in the last episode, uh, who he thought did an amazing job, and he wanted something to be like cutting-edge electronic sounding for this film as well, instead of a classic film score sound, which I thought was super cool. I, did, I never knew this, because um, believe it or not, uh, someone else who suggested, there was a few people, but the Han Zimmer was suggested, which I mean, hell yes, because that would have been like unreal, but also like, <laughs> no, like, no, no. So his first choice was the robot duo we all love, Daft Punk, as I've been saying. And according to an article from MTV that I saw that was from 2010, it is said that when Kaczynski went to interview the duo for the film, apparently, it was apparently them who started interviewing him to make sure he was the right person for the job and to give their opinion as to what and what should not be in the film moving forward because they were evidently very much diehard fans of the original, which is always like a good feeling, right? When you know the artistic leads for a film love the material as much as you do, it almost feels like, you, you've like you're handing somebody like here's my heart and you know it's like in good hands like i i love that when someone's like yeah i'm a fan and they like show pictures like i've loved such and such since i was four here's me in high school being like a loser because i liked this and like they're like i love this this is my thing like that's that's what you want so daft punk scores scored the film very interestingly um, by making the tracks first and then the scenes were crafted to fit the songs uh, sh- maybe maybe i'm mixing that up okay so, uh, let's just from what I remember reading way back in the day, this it's that they composed all the songs as if they were doing like performing a giant piece um, and then it was fit into the film. So I think that's why there's such like a nice flow to the film and everything feels woven together. If, if I remember that correctly, um, that's how they did it. And while I agree, the score deserves a lot of praise and could definitely be talked about far, far, far more. Um, there's lots to cover, like straight up, like way too much. Um, so I'm going to leave you all on that note. Go listen to it after you've watched the film. Don't do it the other way around or do whatever you want. I'm not in control of you. So anyways, we're going to jump back into Tron Legacy. So Sam enters the scene now. Yes, that's how long I've been talking about Daft Punk. He's riding his equally cool Ducati. And also, yes, I wanted to do Cotty after watching this film. I mean, who didn't? Oh, it's like a such a bitching bike. Oh my god. So, anyways, he's heading to Encom, uh, where we both, uh, where we see both Alan Bradley and 
Edward Dillinger Jr., um, which is kind of a really cool scene. I, I'm glad that they included it. Um, they're both sitting at a meeting where Alan Bradley is clearly no longer valued, which is super cool to see. Um, I don't know how that happened, but it seems Dillinger Jr., though, on the other hand, is earning his way up honestly, which he, like, he's got that smirk, like you know, right? Like you're not an idiot when you're watching, you're like, nope, something's bad about this guy. But anyways, he's apparently earning his way honestly, unlike his father. Also, sorry, like I have another sidebar here. I don't know how or why this happened, but I kept saying Tron, the original film, came out in 1984 in the previous podcast. Um, I might have even said it earlier in this podcast, when it in fact came out in 1982, which ultimately makes the effects in the film that much more impressive. But as a huge fan, knowing very clearly that it came out in 1982, I do not know why I kept saying 1984. So I am incredibly sorry for that. And also too, the same thing with an Instagram post I made like a month ago, where I said, I'm gonna be talking about 1978 King Kong. That ain't a real thing. We know it's 1976, don't we everybody? My five faithful listeners. One of my favorite films, Kong, and I flubbed that date too. I don't I don't know what's wrong with me, but moving forward, I'll make sure I quadruple, quintuple. I'm gonna check my stuff. Um, I don't claim to be like super on the ball, like super factual, I'm trying more and more. Um, but those slip-ups, like stuff like that, don't need to happen. Um, so I will work a lot harder to not have that stuff happen. Okay, <laughs> back onto the show. So we see Sam Flynn, now an adult, played by Garrett Hedlund. Um, I'll admit that the first time I saw him, I didn't really buy the similarity between him and Jeff Bridges. Like, I don't know, like the first couple times I saw this, I didn't think they looked terribly similar but again over time i now buy it hook line and sinker so sam goes into the main servers for ncom during their big ncom meeting about uh ncom 12 which is like their new ios and he i'm doing air quotes here hacks i hate using that term by the way but you see hacks again using air quotes the main system to give away ncom's newest operating system which i, I love that scene because it's so ham-fisted when like Alan's at the meeting and he's just like, what kind of new changes have we made to Flynn uh, NCOM 12? I'm like, dude, he's been gone for 20 years. Like if you're still making that mistake, no wonder they're not favoring you. But anyways, um, that's where we learn that he is in fact the son of Kevin Flynn. When the security guard who catches up to him, who definitely deserves a, a, like a pay raise because he chases him up to the goddamn top of the tower on like a fucking beam that's hanging over the building. And he asks him uh, why he's doing that. And he says something along the lines like, the CEO answers to like the lead shareholder. And he's like, do you know who it is? And he's like, some kid. And then he does like a shrug like, that's me. It rubs me very much the wrong way. And then he does that and he's like, why? And then like Sam's just like, yeah. He's not actually like that. And he just jumps off the skyscraper. It's a skyscraper, by the way. He jumps off, he's like, just imagine like when like he is falling for like what seems like forever and then when he's like maybe maybe 30 feet from the ground pulls the chute like you would have been dead like you needed to pull that bad that puppy like as soon as you jumped off the building but anyways he pulls it and somehow he makes it and he parachutes down and he's he jumps off he parachutes down foreshadow is another foreshadow and um then he yeah he gets caught by the police and um Anyways, fast forward a bit. 
because I like it's going to get plot heavy and I'm really sorry about that, especially if you haven't seen it. But and if you have seen it, also sorry. So I'm not really winning any crowd here. So we fast forward a bit and Alan catches up with Sam, who you can see, like you can tell he's been definitely a father figure to him, as Sam says, a surrogate father figure uh, since Kevin Flynn disappeared. And uh, I'm just going to call Kevin Flynn Flynn from now on. <laughs> because I'm myself getting confused talking about this, even just looking at my notes. It's Kevin Flynn, Flynn, Sam Flynn, Sam, Flynn, Sam, Sam Flynn. Okay. Alan tells Sam he got a text from Flynn's arcade, something that Sam goes to check out. We see the once booming and very bright looking arcade completely closed down, lights off, all the machines and plastic dust covers. And I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's probably closed because Flynn has been missing, but like, who's kidding who? It's 2010 uh, at that point. Uh, not many people were flooding arcades. So, I mean, it's just a little nitpick, but they make it seem like uh, all the happiness has been gone since like Flynn's been gone. It's like, well, I mean, it's 2010. Like I, when I was growing up, there was two arcades I went to from the age of like three to seven and like they evaporated like I, it's not like i just lost interest in video games at seven like they were gone you couldn't make a go of it anymore but anyways it's just a nitpick uh, in reality though when you're watching it it's hard not to feel overwhelmed at the scene especially as a tron fan because like they nail it like the insides look great like you see like i'm pretty sure you see the office but all the inside it looks like exactly how you remember it kind of like at the beginning of tron like uh, 82. Uh, so Sam finds his way to the back of the arcade and he goes to pop a quarter. I mean, I think it's like it's implied. I'm pretty sure it's the same quarter his dad gave him at the beginning of the film. Like in the, um, but like, we don't, we don't know. We don't see that. That's just me maybe adding it to the story. And anyway, so he pops it in the old Tron arcade cabinet, which gets its own back room or not back room, but like back wall. And he goes, he pops in the quarter and it pops right out and he sees huge marks in the floor and figures out the machine can move away from the wall like a door. And I loved that little touch when I first saw it, but now watching it, especially recently before like recording this, Flynn was a massively huge CEO who went missing without a trace. I personally find it incredibly hard to accept that Sam is the first person to find that room he's about to walk into. Like, wouldn't they have been combing the globe for this guy instead of just like instantly assuming like he's dead in a river somewhere and moving on? Like, I don't know. It just seems like a simple thing to miss, like a simple thing to miss. Like, I mean, they put dust covers on every single machine, like every single one. They're done properly. They're done right. And they shut everything down. I just don't get how no one went. Wow. Those are some hefty looking marks on the floor, especially Alan. Like, I mean, come on, Alan. I don't know. Anyways, this is the best part of the film, arguably to me. He stumbles on, he stumbles downstairs and he finds like Kevin Flynn's like kind of office, like a secret office. Like, shh, don't tell. He sees this like top down monitor. Like it's like a monitor within a desk and it's cool. It's got like, um, it's like black um, with like neon old late 80s, early 90s, like font, like Windows 92, if that's a thing. Like, like it looks like Atari letters. It's very rad though. So he finds this like, top-down monitor within a desk which happens to also be touch sensitive so he find he stumbles into a room just by itself would be very cool cool cutting edge um, space age tech for the 80s um, and also we see the same digitizer i mean probably i don't know for sure that it's the same machine that zap flynn into the ncom mainframe in the first film but i mean it's not like something that you could argue with me about either because 
I don't think they would just make a bunch of those. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's a different film. We're going to see soon. Let's upgrade it. So who knows? Um, so Sam uh, activates the aperture, uh, which initiates the key sequence for the film, and he gets digitized. Um, but unlike his dad, he doesn't get uploaded to the grid like an old fax machine or printer. Instead, uh, it's updated a bit to look more like... Um, I guess kind of like a pixely look, like all the pixels look like they're shooting at you a little bit. Um, it's, yeah, that's kind of like the look and feel, uh, which if you were watching this in the theater, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is where the film breaks the illusion and enters into that like Oz factor, like the Wizard of Oz. Uh, until this point, if you watch the film in cinema or on a 3D TV, which they no longer make, all the real world was in 2D, and now that Sim, uh, Sim, Sam was entered into the grid, uh, the film opens up and he's like, he's in this stark, architecturally pleasing neon world uh, of the grid. And it's in crisp, beautiful 3D. Like this is like, like just remember how new 3D is. Like we've only been just like blessed with like current 3D for just around 10 years. And this is like top of the line stuff. And with much of this film, as you notice, as you watch this, all of the scenes mirror themselves in one way or another from the real world and then to the grid. And then again, though, much like the Wizard of Oz. Um, so right out of the gate, Sam has a huge light beaming down on him and he's recognized and picks and, and a recognizer picks him up from above. So that's where I was just like foreshadow. It's like almost a verbatim similar scene. Um, so next we get our first taste of the games. The games, if you remember from the 82 film, is where Flynn learns who Tron is. Um, they're like fighting for their lives. Same scenario here. Um, a couple things to note, which are cool or interesting, um, kind of like upgrades and changes. Uh, you'll notice between Legacy and Tron 82, the biggest one being the discs. Uh, just the discs in, in general are a fairly noticeable design upgrade from the first film. Um, they look like solid metal with like a hole as opposed to a Frisbee. But this time they also move far more grounded in physics than their predecessors did. Um, it's a little closer to like what I would say, I think the analogy I made is like Captain America's shield. It's more closer to that, but I'd argue these discs, um, are probably even a little more realistic, definitely more grounded in physics. Um, also too, uh, when a program gets derezzed, um, in, in Tron legacy, um, in this grid, unlike in the last film where your color faded, you eventually became a single flash of light. When you get derezzed in like Flynn's current grid, you like decompile, like you almost like explode, you burst into like a bunch of little cubic voxels, like almost like little pixels, I guess, even. Uh, you'll have to forgive me, but as much as I love this film, I feel like I should say we're entering into spoiler territory, like hardcore. Um, so going forward, I'm not going to go quite as deep with the actual plot as I did in like volume one, um, but I will talk about some, some of the highlights. I feel like I need to start by saying um, my boy Clue is not the charming sweet tempered program from the last film, which is brings a tear to my eye. Um, no more let me at him, unfortunately. Um, it's Clue 2, uh, which he is called, I'm not even sure if it's like colloquially, like it might just be amongst fans. I don't know if he's like labeled as that in the credits, um, but interestingly enough, he's seemingly the alternate version, kind of, if you look at it. Uh, he's still following Flynn's commands, except he's more advanced and he can think on his own. But he's just kind of like the dark version. Like in the in the in Tron eighty two, he's like, let's. He's like, Flynn wants it. We're gonna do it. Like, go get him. And I mean, he kind of starts out this way, but like he 
ultimately like corrupts himself if that makes sense like he goes very much on a different path like he takes the right up fork on the road and like clued from like 82 takes the left paths but unfortunately we don't get any like nice quips he's not real young jeff bridges he is old pretending to be young jeff bridges um speaking about pretending to be young it's actually kind of cool um this is like one of the very first tron legacies this is uh, um like the special effects um the music the fact that it was like a long dormant franchise they all put tron legacy really in like not on the map but in like the minds of like the public through like you know like media and, and press but another big thing that like clue kind of was like he's like a so so bad guy he's kind of like a ho-hum bad guy at the end of the day but the really cool thing was how they actually like de-aged him like this is right kind of like 2010 is kind of like the peak uh, not the peak but really like the first few steps in in like the cgi like de-aging of of an actor um i mean in 2008 was it 2008 um there was benjamin button and i mean like way back like 06 07 there was um i think it was last stand was it x2 it was like one of the original, I think it was Last Stand. That, that was like the first one, but basically all of this like has like um, snowballed really in like the 10s, the 2010s. I mean, all the Marvel movies now get theirs done by um, by Lola. And then you have like a bunch of films done by Weta or Weta, Weta, Weta. They're the people that, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Peter Jackson's company. They're, they're the ones that do all of like the Lord of the Rings films and basically anything that he's like associated with. But at the time, this is, was like, this was like very much, um, head of the game, like very game changing. They used a similar technology to reference Captain America again. So they had an actor do all of the roles that Clue was in, like all of the actual scenes that Clue was in. And then they actually like digitally um, redid um, Jeff Bridges' face on top of this body. Like they did all the motion capture for his face. So Jeff Bridges acted it all out on top of this. I, I don't know if Jeff Bridges acted it all out and then the guy did the acting or Jeff Bridges acted and they like put all that expression and stuff into it. It would make more sense to do it the other way. Um, and then they didn't make him, they didn't actually, weirdly enough, did they, they didn't base um, Clue's um, like facial appearance um, off of 1982-tron. They based it off of um, another film that Jeff Bridges was in a little bit later, um, which is smart because the film doesn't pick up right after that. It picks up a few years later. So they, they, they based off of that. Like That's why he doesn't look like identically the same, but he, he still looks like really good. I mean, like looking at it now, it hasn't aged particularly like well. It still looks really, really good, especially when you like think about like this is from 2010. I mean, there are a couple things where it's like this, it doesn't look right or it looks a little too... It looks a little too video gamey, I guess, maybe is like uh, is how I would phrase it. Um, but otherwise, it, it looks so, so good. And I mean, even still now, they haven't cracked it. You know, with Rogue One, with Tarkin, something's not right, especially with Leia. Oh, my God. She looks like a doll. Like, I mean, perfect for like for those weirdos that like that. But it looks almost like a Disney-fied like Leia. It doesn't actually look like Carrie Fisher from The uh, New Hope. And also, too, you know, it's another weird one that always irks me there's some really good ones but in civil war robert downey jr oh my god i think it's the eyes the eyes and the mouth they can never just seem to get those right sometimes the mouth is done okay but the eyes are always i think that's like our like human like uncanny valley where we just always like you know you, you pick it out but also too um on top of uh, jeff bridges they also de-aged um 
uh, Bruce Boxleitner, Boxleitner, uh, Tron. Um, they they de-aged him as well for the scene, uh, um, for one of the scenes, which is great because uh, unfortunately in Tron Legacy and for a lot of the Tron franchise really up until we get into Uprising, which I'll talk about later, uh, we don't get a whole lot of Tron. Uh, as you'll remember in Tron Volume 1, I, I spoke about how um, in Tron 2.0, no Tron. And uh, Tron goes to the machine, no Tron. Uh, and unfortunately with Tron Legacy, uh, we really only get one shot, one real shot with like, well, okay, we get one real shot with Tron and then we get a redemption scene later which is kind of Tron but not really uh, it's still an amazing f feeling watching that scene you get like just goosebumps but um we get one rad scene where Tron like kicks ass and this scene actually uh, I'm kind of diverging a bit here but this scene that pivotal pivotal scene uh where um it's called like like clue stages a coup to like basically out do Kevin Flint to take over from Kevin Flint and Tron being the loyal just amazing program he is is like Flint go I've got this and he fights them all like he fights all the guards but then it's ultimately like Clue who takes out Tron Tron sacrifices himself so Flint can escape it's that scene I'm pretty sure the song is Adiago it's that scene that crucial scene which will like it's not like a big deal because Tron isn't Star Wars. Um, Tron isn't like Star Trek. It's not. It's it's not like a franchise where people like get up in arms. It's not Godzilla. It's not. You know what I mean? It's not like. But that scene is what's going to separate um, all of like all of the future installments just by that like that hair. So while technically it's like canon is like Tron um, in 1982, Tron Legacy, um, Tron the Next Day, Tron Uprising. Once you get into like video games like Evolution, Battle Grids, um, and like the the graphic novel Betrayal, that's the one scene that's all interpreted in a different way with like slight changes and slight additions um, and omissions even um, from what is shown in Legacy. And to me, like movie is canon. That is like peak canon, and then everything else comes after, unless unless like Tron was a show first and then they made a movie, then you can dismiss it as most shows do when a show makes a movie it's it's almost just a little like you're throwing like some scraps to the fans to keep them happy more or less right unless it's a big deal like digimon the movie or pokemon the movie um but i mean like a dragon ball z movie a sailor moon movie um like an x-files movie it really is like whatever right like it's it take it or leave it but that is that one scene for whatever reason um it's 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 always different but yeah so we see tron for that one scene we don't see a lot of them so just whenever you see um tron legacy just admire like the clue and the tron face for what they are because you get a lot of clue um uh, and you don't get a lot of tron but they're very cool to look at also kind of just like jumping all over the place here i don't i've been talking for so long that i don't even know if i brought this up i feel like i brought it up in like tron volume one when i was talking about this but like when did kevin flynn um become like this like tech god he's like in tron legacy he's like a computer god level genius and like i don't I, I i find it very hard to understand how he goes from being like don't get me wrong he is smart he's very smart but he's like a tech whiz right he's like how every like lazy student sees themselves you know like he's like lazy whatever because like he 
knows that he's like smart like he can just pull something out of his butt like because like he's that kind of intelligent you know what i mean where he is so smart that he doesn't have to do stuff but like in no way in no way is he like he's it's basically like the way they portray kevin flynn like flynn's character in tron legacy is like if you took all of our greatest minds of like the 21st century and you just you smushed them all together like he goes from making like some rad games to suddenly like knowing computer like like bio digital computer science like bio digital jazz man sorry i had to get it in there at least once i'll probably get it in there a couple more times but right like does that not it's like in my mind like if i'm really dissecting it it's like he gets out of like the the mainframe system in 1982 um and then he like is like how did this work he like dissects it and whatever but even if he was like dissect it and like learn from it from like piecing things together and like using his brilliant mind I still feel like he would get to a point where he'd hit a wall and like not understand something. And I get like, you have to have like a suspension of disbelief when you're watching a film, especially of something that's like very kind of soft sci-fi. Like Tron is one of those series where it's, it's, it feels hard because it's like based in reality, but it's not, it's like very loose, like in no way could like that sort of thing happen. Not now, not for easy, like another 20, 50 years could like that thing even be like imaginable. I'm putting it on record. That's my stance on that. But I mean, I, I love the fantasy, right? I love the idea of it. I'm immersed in the world. But even then, like I'm like, eh. I mean, you need to take leaps. The movie's like almost 30 years older, right? But it just, it, it always irks me. He's like, like, and also too, like, like I said, I'm jumping all over the place. I'm going to be just throwing spoilers. So if you haven't seen Tron Legacy, like, again, like, as I said, please, if, for the love of God, stop listening to this, go watch it first and then come back. So like when they're, um, they're at the end of line club, which I'll talk about in a bit, Cora like gets her arm, like literally cut off. And Cora, by the way, is one of the characters in the film, which I, weirdly enough, I haven't mentioned, I'll have to talk about her in a second. Um, and he's just like, oh yeah. Okay. Let me just, well, pump the brakes here a sec. I'll talk about this. So in the film, there's programs and there's users much like in the 1982 film, but also there's a, a new uh, race of characters called ISOs, which are like, um, isomorphic algorithms. And basically like Sam's like, well, you made them right. And Flynn's like, no, man, like they like emerged from like them themselves, like their, their own identity, their own entity. They've you know, like they did their own thing, as he said, bad digital jazz, man. And uh, yeah, so like basically Clue purges them and like different installments in the series. We'll talk about that more like the great purge because like they're not perfect. Right. Uh, and Clue's mine. Uh, anyways, though, so she is like the last one um, in Tron Legacy. Cora is played by Olivia Wilde and she's an absolute smoke show and definitely in 2010 easy to 2012 I was like that is ideal um, but we're not talking about that it's a little weird for me to talk about that on a podcast um, but anyway so yeah she gets her arm cut off and he's like yeah I didn't program them I know nothing about this but he takes her desk and goes beep, boop, 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 and then all of a sudden she has a new arm it's just like dude like if I just, I don't know. Like, it seems like there's way too much missing for me to just like all of a sudden buy that. Like, he's like, yeah, you're the last one. And I understand all of your coding. And I just, yep. Even he says though, like, this is too advanced for me or something like that. But it's like, this all should be way too advanced for you. But anyways, um, the ISOs, 
they're like I said, they're like new. They're kind of cool actually. Like I know I was talking a little bit earlier, like I was gonna get that tattoo. I was also at one point gonna get uh, a different tattoo. Um, they like the ISOs, both like uh, male gender and female gender ISOs have different um, markings. Um, like they're like a hexagon and like a an arrow and like a uh, a line in a in a hexagon or something like that. Maybe it's an octagon, um, and it's just like to like show like what they are, which I thought was like neat. Um, I, I mean, I'd still do that. It's not as important to me now, um, but it was definitely like would have been like my first tattoo kind of like deal. But the ISOs you'll see a lot more in evolution um, and definitely in battle grids. Battle grids talks uh, focuses quite a bit on ISOs um, as well as the graphic novel Betrayal. Um, although Betrayal is weirdly like I was saying, like because of that scene is not technically canon um, due to like the interpretation of, as I said, the scene. Um, but I personally me so like i'm nothing in the disney community but i consider it like loosely canon uh or like cautionary canon um kind of like i don't know like for the marvel cinematic universe like how a comic book uh it fits into that like really it, it makes no difference like not even the tv shows acknowledge anything in the comic books i mean if you like if you just wrap your mind around like that scene's like the same scene with like it maybe just a different viewpoint to me it's like whoop, it all fits it's all canon um but yeah, what else do I got to talk about here? We are like running very, very much over schedule. Um, like I was planning on having this maybe be like an hour 20 and that was going to include all the rest of the Tron franchise. And at this point, we're definitely looking at a Tron volume three and who knows, maybe a Tron volume four. So I'm hoping to get this out, maybe a package deal two, three, but we have a lot to cover. So I'm going to try my best to get covering this all. Um, so end of line club, um, I mentioned it just a second ago. It's kind of like crucial. You'll see it more in um, in other like um, installments. Um, we have that's where we meet uh, Caster, um, and uh, Caster is like basically like the the club owner, like the entrepreneur of the End of Line Club. But he also used to go by the name Zeus. Um, and Sam meets Caster um, because Cora actually recommended to go see him because he's basically like your your back alley, your um, your black market kind of guy. He can smuggle you stuff, smuggle you stuff. He knows where to get stuff. Um, he can direct you in the right direction. He can like, you know, like forge discs and like change your identity, yada, yada. Um, and he, he, um, or I guess she knew, Quora knew of uh, Zeus, as he was called then, um, due to the great purge, um, which he, I guess, smuggled ISOs or in and out of like the different cities. So there's, oh, by the way, in the grid, there's multiple cities. So there's like um, Tron City, um, there's Argon City, um, there's Gallium City, there's, um, I think it's pronounced Arza City, it could be Arja City. Um, there's also like the Sea of Simulation, which there's things on that. Um, and like I said, there's the End of Line Club, which I'm pretty sure is in Tron City. Tron City would be like, if you were to like imagine Canada, I guess. And you're being and you're from ontario tron city would be toronto and then like argon argon would probably be like montreal or something like that like still a massive city but not as big as like toronto so that's just kind of like the the difference there but uh back to um the end of line club and um caster at like the beginning of this scene, we see like um, we see like one of the sirens that we saw um, originally with Sam like coming into the games. Um, one of the sirens called um, Gem, but I I have to say this is 
every single time it used to the friend i was talking about earlier uh andrew lusk i used to say it all the time and it, it bugged the ever-living shit out of him and every time um he sam's like what do i call you and she's like jam call me jam i always say jam that's exactly what it sounds like it's i know it's gem but it's always like jam call me jam sorry i don't know she's also a smoke show like more so than cora but again that's like 2010 to 2012 me talking not 2019 me talking although i mean you know but we're doing a podcast we're not talking about tyler's personal interests and like weird things because they're like goddamn movie characters but kind of cool right out the gate um got a lot of easter eggs in the scene um oh yeah weirdly i never seen them uh and i haven't heard that there are any i'm sure there are but maybe not because disney doesn't do it all the time now but i didn't notice any hidden mickeys in tron legacy maybe they are if there are some hit me up on uh on twitter or instagram let me know that you found them but uh some easter eggs i did see that are pretty well-known ones uh we see daft punk um that are actually djing the club um in full full outfits and they're they like i think they get two little scenes like one where you just see them right in the beginning and then like once like the fight scene starts then they like they like play something and then like they're starting to like bother their heads and stuff and then the bartender is actually um steven leisberger um the actual like director and creator of um of tron 1982 so that's kind of cool also um the scene is also kind of interesting because um you see like a, a good mix of like different characters there like free programs uh some of like the guards like like red and blue uh, we also see people that are in like the long uh, forgotten resistance like the flynn resistance um and they're they're basically like up up in like casters like grill being like we need your help we need your support and it's, it's kind of cool because when clue comes like his guard comes actually clue doesn't come right away but his guard comes to like apprehend um sam basically the resistance that you'll see later like i think it's an uprising you see a lot more of them they um they they literally like scream like resist and they're they're all ass fighters like they're terrible and they all just get murked right away but it was cool to see that because like it's like it's kind of like you know world war ii like french resistance like they're still there but like very underground and they can't do a lot um and then one more thing i have to say about that scene oh by the way caster zeus is played by um michael sheen i'm pretty sure mike is it michael sheen michael sheen uh if you're a fan of underworld he is um not david what character is he oh michael sheen so yeah if you've seen underworld uh, michael sheen plays like lucian so in the first and i think third movie i don't know if i don't think he's in the second movie i've only seen these just recently he's also in um frost nixon he's in Ma masters of sex i don't watch it but i see the commercials all the time he's like the douchey new he's like the douchey guy in midnight in paris which is one of my faves honestly can't think of anything right now that i've seen him in but you would know his face if you saw him you'd know him um he plays him he's really kooky he's really weird i guess like um to get into the role he like took a lot of inspiration from um tim curry from uh rocky horror picture show and like david bowie i guess from like labyrinth or like the man who fell to earth he's very eccentric very um um very charactery um caricature like over the top um, but he's cool. He's really cool. Um, doesn't get a lot of screen time, which is unfortunate because he is pretty rad. Oh, right. At the very end. So like Cora comes to like intervene, like Sam, like, I don't know how he was going to fight them all off. Like, he's just like, it seems like a normal guy, like a bar brawler, if anything. And he's going to like fight off these 
like clues guard. Um, so that doesn't happen. And then Cora comes in and she's kicking ass like left, right and center, but then loses an arm. And just when all things are like about to like turn to like shite, like this cloaked figure like puts his hands down on the ground and everything changes. All the lights go boom, boom, boom. Like everything is like, it's solid because the user, the user, like Kevin Flynn has returned. He's like made his first appearance in like, I don't know, like 20 years. And, um, yeah, he runs so weird. So like basically once he comes, then all like the resistance, the last few of them, they like kill the rest of the guards and he's like running away and he's like scurrying, like, like, like literally like a hobbly scurry with his like arms beside him. He's like, imagine like a penguin waddling. I have no idea why he's running like this. And he's like, they're all after like the user's disc. That's the point of the movie is they need a user's disc. The clue needs the user's disc to open the portal, to get out of the digital world into the real world. It's a little like when you think about it, it's like a when you think about it, it's like it's a little weird, like like far fetched. But also, if you think about it, like he is literally every one of those people in there, and he's like repurposing them all and making like a massive army. So if he could bring them all out, like he could easily like I think they're in like California. Let's say they're in California, he could take over California in a night. He'd have like five hundred thousand like people, and they would just wipe out California, just an army. Yeah, so that's what they're all after and he's like running like scurrying like a little penguin i'm like motioning right now like it's terrible radio and like then they like they grab his disc and he's like <gasps> and it's like dude come on like why do we, why don't you why weren't you holding it like put it in the cloak like i don't know so that's just a little like nitpicky thing but it's that run always kills me like it kills me uh, i think it's hilarious um so i've talked about that and complete lack of tron which is like again like Aside from Tron 1882, everything just has like Tron, like Tron's a namesake. It'd be like having a Godzilla film where like Godzilla's bones are in like the first scene of the movie and then like everything else in the movie has nothing to do with Godzilla or like having like a Spider-Man movie where Spider-Man dies like right in the beginning. And unlike the very well-made Sp Into the Spider-Verse, we don't get a Miles Morales. We just, that's it. That's basically what this is, this is like. It's like from Tron 2.0 to like, well, thank God for Tron Uprising, but then it, um, everything in between, no Tron. You don't get Tron. Like basically Disney is like, jog on, no more Tron for you. And if I had to talk, I'm going to maybe like talk about like a couple more things and then I'm probably going to end this on like Tron the next day, which is like a short film. It's like 10 minutes long. A nitpicky thing for Tron Legacy Okay, if you guys have seen this, like, and you've seen it, like, as much as me, which is a lot, but even if you've just seen it a few times, there's this one scene, so, like, Clue does this rally, right? So, like, Flynn and Sam are up top in, like, this, like, giant, like, stadium-like building, and, um, and then uh, Clue is, like, giving the speech, which mirrors, like, the speech that we saw right at the beginning, because this whole movie is just, like, copy, 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 like, it takes the Wizard of Oz thing, once you like realize how much is copied then like it makes you sick after the more times you watch it but like the first couple times is really endearing and honestly like i still get some like some warmth out of some of these scenes uh just like that like for those reasons like i get a lot of warmth out of a lot of the scenes but anyways flynn and sam are up top and he's like giving like in there is our destiny like in there or like in there is our future in there is our destiny and then like when it's like um like uh, intruder alert or like user on floor nine or whatever the hell it says he like looks up it like it makes me always think of like mass effect 2 for some reason like it like he like looks up like up towards the camera it's almost like a slight dutch angle and then they're like 
it's not even like it doesn't even seem like a real zoom like like a zoom in it like it seems almost like a computer did the zoom in and it just completely focuses in on his face and it's like oh my god and it's like at that moment for whatever reason i don't know if they added it in or what but the animation for clue's face looks horrendous like he doesn't look like wonky or anything but it just looks like not fully rendered and it, that scene always irks the shit out of me like it looks so much like a video game and i don't get why that happens but anyways if you see it it's near the end so like Clue's about to give the speech. The Korra, like, um, basically, like, sacrifices herself. She's, like, a pawn. She doesn't die, like, in the scene. Like, I don't mean like that, but, like, basically, like, she's a distraction. Like, uh, Sam and Flynn need to go do something. So, like, Korra, like, basically is like, here, I'm here, right? That kind of, like, thing, like, damsel-y thing. And, yeah, the ending. So, I'm not going to spoil the ending. I've spoiled just about everything. But um, I guess this kind of spoils something. But Sam and Korra, um, Sam gets out of, like, the grid. He like he gets out and um, basically now at this point uh, he's like backed up the grid and he shut it off. He's got it on like a little chip on his necklace, like a little dog tag almost. And he comes out and Alan's waiting there and he's like, I got your page. And, he, and he's like, I'm taking back the company, Alan, and you're running the thing. No more uh, making Flynn mistakes. You can say it as much as you want. Boop, boop, boop. That's my last name. <laughs> Give him a little slap on the shoulder. Basically, like, looks at him like, how did you never figure this out in fucking 20 years? That's at least what I think. Again, swearing, really sorry. And uh, he, like, rides off into the sunset. Like, that's that's how it goes. I might be not including some things in case somebody actually wants to watch this and still has avoided all of my spoiler territory notes. That basically like sums up Tron Legacy. Sam makes it, he sees his father, gets out of the grid, realizes the grid's a real thing, all the stories he heard as a child are true. And yeah, that's it. He drives away into the sunset and it's like a really good feeling. Uh, and then it's over. Tron Legacy is over. You can enter the Tron universe and get ready to face off in an epic battle with light-up Tron figures that activate the vehicle lights when plugged in. Watch Sam and Clue as they speed and swerve in a life-or-death race with real lights and sounds. While Kevin and Cora take off in the light runner, Sam is in a race to the end. Will he make it? The race is on with Disney's Tron Legacy light-up figures and vehicles. Available now, each sold separately from Spin Master. But the story's not quite over. Not there anyways. The, the next thing that um, continues in like the Tron um, franchise, if you will, like the next film, it picks up like right after Tron Legacy. That's Tron the next day. Um, it's, 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 it's um, Tron the next day is, um, it's, this is like a short film. Um, we're talking 10 minutes. Uh, uh, it is canon. Uh, it was included in the Blu-ray of Tron Legacy. So if you if you have this, you've definitely seen it. It's one of like the main special features. Um, it takes place directly after Tron Legacy, like exactly like right after, like if not the same day, then the day after. Like that's basically where it ends. Um, in reality, though, uh, it serves as a nice tie-in for both '82 and 2010. It has uh, it's not directed by the same people. It's not written by the same people. Um, it's not even produced by the same people. It's all a whole different uh, crew. It's probably like their B-list team or like people that were like diehard fans because there's a lot of attention to detail. And it's also kind of like a teaser for what's yet to come. Like uh, when this film was made, like Tron 3 is like fresh in everybody's mind. Um, the film is, uh, it's, well, it's kind of, it's interestingly stylized. It feels almost more like a documentary than like a, a film, like a, a movie. 
Um, in it, there's some very cool Easter eggs. Um, uh, and as I'll talk about later, like there's definitely more so uh, Easter eggs, like um, kind of outside the film, if you're watching this on the Blu-ray. Um, but even within it, like um, once, you, well, like I'll talk about this, like obviously in a second, but you're going to like see like tons of posters for like old like um, games and like uh, movie tie-ins. There's like Marvel comic, like variant comfort, variant covers. Like, do you remember those? I have the Spider-Man one, but there was like Iron Man, Captain America, maybe Wolverine. Um, but the Spider-Man one was was probably my favorite. And um, yeah, just little nods to both 82 and 2010. Like the more you watch it, it's, it's all very much blink and you miss it. But so first off in the film, uh, like I said, it's like a 10 minute treat. Uh, we see this hooded figure known as Zack Attack. Um, he's running around in his like little, I don't know, it's like kind of weird. It's like a den, but it's like this little conspiracy theory layer, like a tech hideout. Um, so this is the guy who cre uh, created and has been running with the very much, it's very underground like feeling. It's like an underground campaign uh, called Flynn Libs, which ultimately for like the Tron franchise will become like a big deal. It appears like as if there's like a bunch of supporters and it's almost as if he's been running, uh, like running this campaign for a long time, but it's weird. Like it's super weird. Cause like they're like from 89, they're showing like Flynn Libs. Um, not maybe not 89 i think it's like 1990 they're showing like flynn live stuff but like legacy as i recall makes zero mention of this like not once do we see like flynn lives anything yeah like i mean we see like some vandalism and like some like rebellion but nothing is tied to flynn lives also too there's a very like blink and you'll miss it shot of like that rad neon ncom helicopter that kevin flynn takes off in at the ending of tron 82 you'll see it again later in the film but like that is such a rad helicopter. It's too bad it didn't actually make an appearance in Legacy. So there's there's also like audio recordings from different years around the disappearance of Flynn. And while I think this part is actually like, it's, it is, it's pretty cool. Uh, and like the cast, the, it's the cast that puts heart into this, like in these recordings and in like these like little fake press conferences and stuff. Because, and that's honestly what makes it. But not a lot of it makes an, a lot of sense. Like it's, I feel like they're just saying stuff to say stuff. The thing that doesn't make sense the most though of all of this is how does Alan just elect himself a CEO? He's like, I'll, he, like, especially if like a Fortune 500 company, he's just like, oh, just make me interim CEO then. Now that Kevin Flynn's gone, I'll just be CEO. And like, I don't think that's how it works, right? I'm not saying that him and Kevin weren't close, that he's not intelligent, but I don't think you just, I don't know. You don't just have the chops to run a company of that magnitude. You just go, you just don't go. I really like care about Sam and uh, Kevin Flynn was my best bud and I've worked here. So boop, I'm just going to run the company. I mean, of course I buy that and I love the idea of that, but on like a realistic level, like in reality, not at all does that seem plausible. And for another thing, as cool as the film was pieced together and like for the purpose it serves, uh, you can very much see that the bulk of character focus parts um, is like amateurly shot. It just feels not like a movie. It feels like it was shot in a couple hours, if that, and on very much a shoestring budget. But God damn it, if I don't admire when creative teams go out of their way to give fans just that little bit more, you know, like with like the basically it, it's coming like the death of like physical media already. You can see like special features and stuff have taken like a huge backseat. Um, so almost being like nothing, like here's a trailer, right? But I just, when, when a team like that goes out of their way to just give fans like, Hey, 
like we love Tron just as much as you love Tron or like, I don't know, for anything, right? Like we love Spider-Man just as much as you love Spider-Man. Here's like a little diary, like a day of life, like little pieces that fit in between the movie that just give you a little extra like nugget of something. Uh, it's, it's like I'd never complain about Tron and I'd also never complain about a little treat like that, regardless of the production quality, just because like you don't get stuff like that. Just like, hey, here's a little something for being a fan. And uh, that, to me, that that is a huge just a little i don't know it's like the cherry on top right but picking up as the film continues we see that alan as i was saying is having a tough crack at running ncom and ironically enough they start losing the software market too and you're gonna love it dillinger systems that's right dillinger systems our boy eddie from tron 1982 got back on his feet and gave the crew at ncom the old right there fred and uh, took a good chunk out of their business model, which we see a couple clips of like, Dillinger is now like the new household name. Dillinger is like killing it with games. And like NCOM is like shit, 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 like sweating buckets. Like you can see it in all like the clips that they're showing, which um, sidebar for a second, if like Dillinger is like crushing it software wise, I wonder what happened that Dillinger Jr. is like back at NCOM. Um, so either like NCOM came back and bought dillinger systems or it's strictly like for revenge reasons like i.e secret plan reasons but like you'd think if like papa like owns like dillinger systems and like even if it's like a good chunk of the market I, it's probably it might not be ncom numbers that's probably what it is at the end of the day but like i would be cool with that and i mean like their secret plan must have been something cool but um by 1990 as the film states the shareholders demanded a change uh this is where we see lots of official documents popping up on the screen like uh like what is that like confidential and calm report employees only uh this is where uh we see things like we are proud to announce a new step for ncom's future games have been good to ncom but it's time to take this company in a new direction um and, and as all as well as stuff like it's been a year since kevin flynn disappeared and it's time for this company to grow up it's like punctuate it grow up and what will help it is immediately terminating the employment of certain staff members such as a b and c um which is honestly like this is where the film starts to move and like move quick uh we see now like board members are being systematically removed like all people who were chummy with flynn like if you were working with the guy uh if you were following his original vision if you were like part of his like his team of like go-getters basically any association with flynn you're out norman that's when alan bradley slowly wiped his mouth and said out am i be kidding by the way <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't happen at all but that's exactly the vibe i get when watching this you know like spider-man that's that's exactly like the feeling i get he's like pissed he's like on the phone or whatever and he's just like if that's how it's gonna be i'm quitting today and he's like hangs up the phone uh, we see Roy Kleinberg, um, who was Ram, uh, who makes his first appearance, from what I can tell. Like, that's what I was under the impression. I couldn't find anything that's different uh, since Tron uh, 82, which it's too bad that he was away that long. But I mean, if they barely had Tron in any of the Tron franchise since, uh, Ram really isn't too high on the list Um but turns out he was one of the first employees hired at NCOM and he was one of the first countless, uh, one of the first uh, fired in the countless purge of the, like the countless Flynn purge, I guess. I don't know. There was no title for it. So he worked there from 77 to 90. Then we're seeing stuff like a Flynn lives computer virus, which is popping up in many home computers, which is cool. You see like a bunch of like 90s 
90 like to like 98 looking like monitors and like pcs and stuff is it's kind of cool um so that all these like flynn libs like it's like popping up uh and like all the kids are like mom it's doing it or mom i didn't do anything and like so um, we see though like there's a little bit of an interview the person who made this virus is known only by the title isolated thinker jump to 1999 uh, 10 years after the disappearance uh, we get a bunch of like 2010 looking people well okay like two two at least for sure um, and they speak out in crisp well-lit 1080p video about Flynn like I mean this stuff looks like it was on YouTube yesterday so there's two people that like one guy's got a little bit longer hair the other girl's got a lot of eye makeup it's like this is 99 like they look like they were just like hey do you guys want to be in a video like that's what it looks like like they were the snack people at like the production like that's what they look like just keep coming come on in here so again <laughs> again I know the budget and the time must have been tight but come on right come on how hard is it to do like a 90s look like i'm just throwing a plaid shirt for god's sake that's all it takes so the film after this though gets a little scattered for like just a minute and then after that something wonderful happens we jump to 2009 they say flynn came back just a little bit younger sam flynn he gets everything bumping again starts the search again jumps out of a bit that bitch in helicopter and like he doesn't just jump out like he like parachutes but it's during like a press conference so sam's like interrupting and vandalizing encom events and products with his like emergence into like the limelight flynn libs is in full swing again and then all of a sudden zach attack signs off he's like <laughs> by the way he's been narrating this film almost like the entire time and uh and we see he's none other than ram himself and then just a little bit later, we see his efforts have been funded almost fully from the start by Tron himself, Mr. Bradley. Alan has funded this whole thing. <laughs> like I said, out am I? Uh, so <laughs> such a dork. So Bradley is also the isolated thinker. Funny enough, huh? Big spoiler. So Bradley, I don't know why I'm calling him Bradley now. So Alan tells Ram, Ram, okay. So Bradley, Alan, Tron, they're all the same person. So I'm very sorry if that just got confusing there at the end. He tells Ram that Sam, didn't rhyme intentionally, has retaken the company and he's getting the band back together, basically. Then the two exchange a handshake, referring to each other with their program counterpart names in what could easily be described as one of the cringiest scenes ever filmed. I don't know what it is, but it makes me just, ugh, like, it's just, oh my God. It's so, like, cringy. Like, four smiles as they're shaking their hands i don't know so the film closes with an appearance from sam who shows up to encom in front of like a massive amount of paparazzi they're asking him questions he's ignoring them all there's flashing going on everywhere and then all he does is he he like opens up his shirt and like pops the old flynn lib shirt Pew! um side note uh one of my high school jobs um was at an independent video game store called uh vgu video game universe and my boss would seemingly intentionally wear his official Flynn Live shirt whenever whenever I worked um, to seemingly irk the hell out of me because he knew my love for Tron. Um, and if he's listening, although I've n I would never have admitted it, I never did, it's been just under a decade and that memory still bugs me to my core. So congrats on that effective campaign. Just a couple things to note about the film um, the next day, um, Tron the next day. If you're watching it on Blu-ray, there is a couple more Easter eggs to watch. Um, one is a very cool one, and it's kind of quintessential, I would say, um, whether it's canon or not. I would say it is. It's between Dillinger Jr. and MCP. 
and they're like talking about f- their future sinister plans for Encom and taking it back. Uh, then we, we, you see a bunch of stuff though. There's like the press and also you have to like type in codes on like the Blu-ray. It's like three letter codes or like, um, I think it's codes, maybe it's symbols, but I seem to remember there's a press conference and interviews like in full from like the film we just watched. There's like a recruiting video. There's a couple vintage commercials. There's at least two. I know one is for like space paranoids. And then also there's a piece on Flynn's arcade being reopened. Um, also it's kind of cool. I did hear about this when it was like happening. Cause like, I was like everything about it. Um, but apparently there was also like a rumor. It was rumored that there was going to be a scene with Sam at the, like, apparently it was rumored that the scene with Sam at the end was originally supposed to feature Cora either. Like, I don't know, like if she was supposed to be by herself or with Sam. Um, and she would have evidently, Oh, by the way, <laughs> I just spoiled the part I was trying not to spoil when I was talking about Tron legacy. So cats out the bag there, she gets out. Um, and she would have evidently said something akin to that she just saw Flynn yesterday and then like people would have ape shit as the elevator doors closed behind her. So that would have been cool. But ultimately, whether it was filmed or not, we've never seen it. So and that's it. It's safe and e. Honestly, that's 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 really all I have to say about that. Um, whew, take a breath, you know. So I know this episode ran incredibly long and there's still like, oh, my gosh, like as somebody who's just like, yeah, I love it. I love it. There's so, so much Tron to talk about. So I've ultimately reworked my scripts and all of my info, and I will be releasing Tron Volume 3 as well uh, very soon for you all to enjoy. So thanks again for everyone listening and waiting. Um, If you'd be so kind, I'd really appreciate it if you'd rate and review and subscribe to this podcast, whether that's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever. It means a lot to me and uh, and I'd appreciate it. So also, if it wouldn't be too much uh, to ask, I would ask if you could please share this podcast on social media. Um, It doesn't seem like much and maybe like you're going to lose a friend or two, but it would really help build the audience for this podcast and just building a community in general for the show would make the experience for me and for you listeners more wholesome. Uh, and I'd honestly really appreciate it. Uh, so just again, make sure you guys check out our sponsors for the show. That's, uh, outra apparel on Instagram and at outraapparel.ca and go give a quick listen to Kuvmo on hacker public radio and to, um, just a sidebar here to, uh, SNA, if you're listening to this, Just remember that uh, you have to eat your pickles because Tron eats his pickles, okay? It's a little uh, inside joke that I'm sure no one remembers, but just crazy person Tyler here. So stay tuned for volume three and much more. I'm sure I'll get a couple more episodes out like within March. And yeah, guys, thanks so much again for listening. Flynn lives. End of line.